みんな今まで応援してくれてどうもありがとうデザートから皆さんへの最後のメッセージは勝手に生きろしてる
welcome to Ornate Stairwells, episode 18. It's a movie podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm joined by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. That's you? Yeah. I forgot how to do a podcast for a second. Yeah, um, it is a little different again. I'm in Chicago. I'm looking at apartments tomorrow, and so I'm crashing on Neve's couch and uh, having a beer and watching uh, horror movies. Horror yeah. movie. Yeah, we'll probably watch another one tomorrow, right? Yeah. I announced this, quote-unquote, on Bag End, um, because I thought people would be interested. Um, We're watching Nadja, which is a weird fucking movie that neither of us have heard of. (laughs) I think I, like, heard of it once before, but didn't hear the David Lynch connection. Okay, so here's the wrinkle that I found in this today, which is, okay, well, let me, okay. So tomorrow we're going to a drive-thru showing of Nadja. I'm just going to read. <laughs> drive in. I'm laughing at the concept of a drive-thru where we like. <laughs> we like drive up to like a little window. <laughs> they play it on a DVD player for us. <laughs> it's Nacho. like one of those CRT DVD players, you know. Where it's like in the CRT. Yeah, no. Yeah. I had one of those. <laughs> um, Nadja is a nineteen ninety four American horror film directed by Michael Almareda, starring um, people I don't know, including Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda is Van Helsing. I missed that. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. It's a vampire film. Vampire movie. Um, the music box is showing it at Drive In Theater. Produced by Mary Sweeney, who um, worked on Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, uh, Lost Highway, was married and divorced from David Lynch in 2006. Um, So that's kind of the Mary Sweeney connection was interesting. I did not notice. uh, I thought at first when we were talking about this that she had directed. It is directed by the guy who did the Ethan Hawke Hamlet movie. (laughs) Which is also incredible. Yeah. I don't know what this movie's going to be at all. <laughs> yeah. So, David Lynch does appear in this movie. Briefly. Right. This is the other thing you told me. Yeah. According to the blurb on the Music Box website. Um, also, apparently, um, this director is from Overland Park, Kansas, which is like right around where I grew up. Uh, That's all. Yeah. Who did Twister? Oh, who could forget Twister? That's a great movie. Yeah. Um, that's a great movie. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it'll... Basically, I just looked at what was going to be at that drive-in screening both nights that you would be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is like a double feature. Those oh, David Lynch is also executive producer. Okay. Um... Like, the other one seemed like it would be fun. It was the, what was it? It was the Mummy, but, like, the the UK one. I always forget the... Uh, oh, the Hammer Horror one. Yeah. It was um, uh, Christopher Lee's in there. Um, he's not yeah. the star. He's not... Unless, maybe he shows up as Dracula in that movie. I don't know anything about the... I've only seen... I don't know that I've seen any of the Hammer Horror movies, actually. I should. They're up my alley. I just uh, I never made time for them. Uh-huh. Oh, Man, I was going to say the 
doing a double feature that started at nine was a lot less appealing to me than watching one yeah. movie starting at nine thirty. So yeah. Also, not just sounds great. Yeah. Also, we love vampires <laughs> and the things said David Lynch multiple times. Yeah. The little blurbs. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, buying tickets. I guess. <laughs> um. I've only ever seen the blockbuster to be or not to be monologue from that Ethan Hawke Hamlet movie. Should I watch the rest of that movie? Um, when I watched that movie, mm-hmm. it was when it came out. Okay. But I mean, it was interesting. Okay. I like Hamlet a lot. It's my favorite of the Shakespeare I read. So, But also, it was like, what? 21 years ago? Yeah. So it was like 12. When I was four. Why were you watching Hamlet when you were 12? Because I was watching The Shining when I was five. (laughs) (laughs) It was the youngest of five. Okay, that is a more reasonable explanation. Well, yeah, but me watching Shining when I was five is like what I always return to as like, I was the youngest of five. Okay. And so there was just no control on my media diet because there's like, how are you going to have someone who's like... Mm -hmm fully a teenager mm-hmm. like you have multiple kids who are fully a teenager mm-hmm. and you're gonna watch something mm-hmm. and then tell another kid like but you can't yeah see my mom was also in the situation because she was the youngest of five and like her oldest brother was like 17 or 18 when she was born um but my mom circumvented this by growing up before home video was a thing <laughs> <laughs> you watched what was on the fucking television yeah um. The funny thing is, though, so the one thing I was really scared of as a kid was alien stuff. Mm-hmm. So if it was a movie about aliens, I wouldn't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. And it also meant that as soon as, like, so we would always watch like Star Wars. X-Files. That's the thing. <laughs> um, Wolfman. Specifically, really my, my fear around <laughs> aliens was, like, the inability to understand, right? Like, the inability to, like, communicate and connect with these other beings. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is not that. They're just fantasy yeah. species. There's a spaceman walking yeah. around the canteen. Because you talk to it. Like, Han Solo knows what Chewie is. I don't know what Chewie is saying, but like Han Solo <laughs> knows what Chewie is saying. Right? So it's not scary. Yeah, it's not scary. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're like part of an established society. Okay. It's not like <laughs> things that exist outside of like an established society that have no connection to other people that like cannot communicate with that was what I found so scary as a okay. kid, was that there would be, like, something that would have, like, um, sapiens, mm-hmm. but that would be, like, completely beyond my understanding. Mm-hmm. It was the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Like, also, it was that my, my Oma said that she was abducted by aliens and that uh, <laughs> she believed that my, my dad, that she was in, implanted with my dad. And then, because my dad was born right around Roswell, so she thought that the Roswell crash was them coming to get him back. And then they crashed on the way, and that's why they never got him back. (laughs) And so then I told this story to my Latin teacher. um, And then for, like, forever after that, she would always say, the reason why you're so nice is that you're a quarter alien. (laughs) And so I've evolved beyond human meanness <laughs> fucking proved her wrong <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> anyway, um, I was just gonna make a joke about how The Shining is Shakespeare. We've gone so far afield. <laughs> anyway, so we would watch X Files, and then I would be like, "Oh, it's an alien episode. I'm gonna go mm-hmm. to my room. I don't want to watch this because it's gonna be scary." You don't like that guy. Those going are in the, the least fucking scary movies. Yeah. Or shows? Yeah. Like, episodes in the yeah. entire show. Yeah. Because the alien ones, they're so stupid. I have seen two episodes and one X-Files movie, so. Yeah. Um, E.T. scared the shit out of me. And then my family. never liked E.T. And then my family forced me to go on the E.T. ride. Oh, God. And at the end, E.T. says, in English, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and the name of everybody on the, the ride. No. Including my name. And I was no longer s- afraid of E.T. because he could speak in English and say that he loves me. <laughs> and it cured me of my fear. Because <laughs> now we could communicate if he can say I love you. <laughs> I never liked that movie as a kid. It's scary. E.T. like screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember I remember we had at my babysitters we had some VHSs and she wouldn't let us watch them too much because I think she would just get sick of them if she had to watch the same goddamn VHS kit tapes every day. Yeah. So mostly we just watched TV, but if like on Fridays we could watch movies or something. And I always hated E. T. and I always hated Wizard of Oz. I have like this deep seated irrational hatred of Wizard of Oz. Like one of my least favorite movies it's ever 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 and et yeah. is like in a similar spot in my brain for some reason i don't know why um do you watch any movies i didn't i was gonna watch Machin in uniform um and then i, I was planning to watch it tuesday night mm-hmm. and then instead i had to cook dinner to have ready for someone who's driving it yeah yeah because i was gonna i was originally going to show up at uh like 5 a.m. on Wednesday morning, but instead decided to arrive at uh, a reasonable hour on Tuesday. Which was better for, like, my sleep and everything. (laughs) It didn't mean that I didn't watch a movie, so. Oh, I didn't go to work on Tuesday, so I watched Jurassic Park. That movie fucking rules. I fucking love Jurassic Park. I fucking love Jurassic Park. I, so, um... I have always, like, for years, I have said that that is, like, a movie about um, Steven Spielberg just working through some shit. Uh (laughs) And I remember uh, when I was in high school telling one of my friends that and then be like, no, you're crazy. That's not what that movie's about. And when um, they did uh, Jurassic Park on blockbusters this year they were like oh yeah it's a movie about spielberg working through some shit because he's just hammond he just like put himself in the movie as hammond yeah. um and they were like yeah he's just like i'm like oh great cool i was right the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and then i watched it again for the first time in probably like five or six years um and i was like oh my god i was so right i didn't even know how right i was <laughs> yeah the entire movie is just about dads. Yeah. The entire movie. <laughs> it's just about dads. And it's about like, I'm just trying to make my movie man and the blood sucking lawyers and the fucking production assistants. <laughs> they're holding me down and they're trying to like turn my movies into theme park rides for the rich people. And I'm trying to make art for the world. <laughs> 
Um, it's also when you think about shaking some branches. <laughs> you don't have to CG animate a dinosaur. Yeah. I'm just going to take you like fucking two years <laughs> with yeah. the current technology. Yeah. That's. Uh, um, there are, it was funny the first time it happened. Like the very first scene of the movie is this. But then it also happens once you get like. Um, uh, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill on the island. That they're all. <laughs> She's incredible. Sorry, now I'm just thinking about Laura Dern. <laughs> she doesn't get to do anything in that movie, but she's still like the greatest actress of all time, and so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's like a. They do it a second time where like it's the scene of all the um, main actors like looking in on the uh, raptor feeding, and they're like. It's clearly just, like, we ADR'd in, like, raptor sound effects and then just had production assistants going, ooh, scary leaves. <laughs> While Jeff Goldblum just looks dumbfounded, like, oh, my God. God, <laughs> um, that movie's great. I kind of wish I had a Jeff Goldblum cold what am I t- trying to say here? It's the idle thumbs thing. Yeah, Jeff Coldblum. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of uncomfortable because he's like the worst, but... Yeah. I still wish I had one. I don't, um, I don't know if you can still buy those. Probably not. I feel like it's dead enough now. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast, but um, hoping that one day... Idle Thumbs, and specifically Important of True will return, is the closest I've ever gotten to believing in the second coming of Christ. <laughs> I'm like, positive it's gonna happen. I have no evidence. I'm positive it's gonna happen someday. <laughs> Within my lifetime. <laughs> um, Did you watch anything else, or was that it? I watched Lego Batman. I have another podcast where I'm going to talk about Lego Batman tomorrow. So, oh, are there stairwells that you need to rate in either of these movies? Not in Lego Batman, I don't think. In Jurassic Park, the one that comes to mind would be... And the other thing is that on Tuesday, Nora and I were both kind of sick, and so yeah, we didn't even finish Jurassic Park. We got to, like... The movie's two hours long. Um, we got to like an hour 45 and we're like, well, we've seen all the best parts. We've seen where Sam Neill like grabs the electric fence and pretends he's getting shocked. We're yeah. good. Um, and so. Did you see the part where the lawyer's taking a shit and then the yeah. T-Rex eats him? Yeah. Yeah. You saw all the good parts. <laughs> so there's 15 minutes. Did you see the part where the little, uh, dinosaur <laughs> spits acid in Newman? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, you saw the good part. This saw the good part. <laughs> what I else saw, you need I, to see? I saw... You saw Jeff Goldblum, like, lounging in a bed. Yep. Just shirtless. Yeah. Shirt, or is it open shirt? Or open shirt. shirt. Open, open shirt. shirt. Which is somehow more seductive <laughs> than just no shirt. Um, we saw um, Life, uh, Life Finds a Way. <laughs> we saw um, the fucking, like... Oh, which way is he going to roll off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit. There's a bit in that movie where um, 
uh, Hammond says, uh, we have a T-Rex, and Laura Dern's like, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) And Richard Attenborough looks in Laura Dern's eyes with, like, all the earnestness he can muster, and he's like, we have a (laughs) T-Rex. It's the funniest fucking thing that anyone's ever said in a movie. (laughs) Because it has the same cadence as we bought a zoo. <laughs> I'm just imagining a variation of that uh, Simpsons meme of like everyone like turning. <laughs> like, say the line. Yeah, say the we line. have a T Rex. <laughs> anyway, speaking of T Rex, the this only stairwell I can think of is from the part of the movie we didn't see where they were in the kitchen. They're running away from the raptors, and then the T-Rex shows up and, like, fucks up the raptors as the, like, Welcome to Jurassic Park uh, sign flutters down, which is also CG for some reason, (laughs) and looks noticeably worse than any of the dinosaurs do. (laughs) Um, Fluttering technology was really, really hard back then. (laughs) And so... um, yeah, I, in my in my imagination of that scene, there is like two stairwells leading up in there. Yeah, um, this also fits my imagination. Which I I suppose earlier in the movie they walked up while Hammond is like saying like here's our whole plans for the park, but eh, whatever. I'm gonna give this like a D. I'm gonna okay. give Jurassic Park a D. I'm gonna fill in the other information here, not because I don't like know who directed it. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to type a bunch. Yeah, no, that's fair. So. Um, you know, I haven't thought about it until just now. Um, I always thought it was really weird and funny that um, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park came out in the same year. But now that I think about it, he probably finished making, he probably finished his part of making that movie like in 1991. And then it was <laughs> just like, damn, this animation shit. Man, <laughs> um, why is it taking six months to do Dino DNA? <laughs> yeah, great movie. Great movie. Um, do you want to talk about the movie? Oh, I guess content warning. You didn't yes. say this at the top. We, uh, yeah, moving into the next part. One, obviously, we're going to talk about suicide. I guess it's the name. It's in the name. We're going to talk about suicide and like. This movie is pretty over the top to where there's like a lot of gore and like that is excessive mm-hmm. to where like we might talk about suicide in at sometimes a like joking fashion, which is not something mm-hmm. I want to do lightly, but it is like the space the movie's operating in, I guess. Yeah. You know? Um, and then, um, content warning for like there is a sexual assault in two scenes um there's like one scene that is about it and then it's like you know cut to another scene and come back to that scene basically yeah um so um i'm trying to think of those other i guess also there's like a little bit of self-harm stuff i mean it's, yeah it's kind of fame suicide but yeah that one scene feels way more just like self-harm yeah um it's the scene that is the most intense for me because of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
Anyway. Suicide Circle, aka Suicide Pub.、Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of those where, like, Suicide Club makes sense because、um, it's using circle, like, the way that there would be, like, circles that would be, like, clubs. It's、mm-hmm. a term used in, in Japan for, like, a school club.、Mm-hmm. Um, but also, then, it is, like, literally just katakana, English word of circle. Circle.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saku. <laughs> Um, so, um, and also I feel like there, there's images of circles in here, like the roll. Um,、mm-hmm. and then also this like idea of like, uh, <clears throat> towards the end, they like get into a, this idea of like the circle of life or whatever, you know,、right. the, the rain evaporates and makes clouds and then the clouds rain. And that's like I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, 2001. Um, I don't know that this movie is straight to DVD, but it has a straight to DVD feel to it in a good、yeah. way. I mean this positively, to be clear. Um, I mean this in the sort of like the feel of a movie where in 2005 you're wandering around either a blockbuster or a Walmart and you're like, 
I don't know. This has got kind of a good cover. Let's see what it yeah. is. You know, it's four bucks. What's the worst thing that could happen? Looking at the release date here, it does say it was released at a film festival. So okay. my guess is it came out as a movie, but also this definitely feels like it is coming in the wake of like the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, very which, exploitation cinema. Very, yeah. you know. V cinema is like, yeah. there, there are multiple terms. V cinema, mm-hmm. cinema is a really common one, but it mm-hmm. was like technically a term mm-hmm. that like one company used. Um, but I feel like it's the one that I use the most often because they made a lot of movies under the V cinema and mm-hmm. also, um, some of the other stuff is like weirder to translate. But anyway, um, I'm just want to sure. give like a little context for, for listeners yeah. of like, you know, it's direct to video, but in Japan, I, a lot of it is still kind of weirder or like going into exploitation-y stuff. Um, and yet... I would say it it is more respectable or is like at least more um, within certain circles. I think mm-hmm. there's like in Japan, there's like a greater appreciation for it than a lot of direct to video in the U S right. Um, direct to video in the U S has a connotation of like Aladdin three, the King of thieves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it's just like something to, to sell to kids basically. Cause we'll yeah. see, whatever Disney movie they like, there's a new one on the, right. You know, while you're at target or whatever, but like, this is, you know, uh-huh. there are a lot of like big directors who got their start in the cinema. Yeah. And this 2001 is this period where like a lot of mm. what was happening in V cinema is like, I think the, the other big thing is that it's like in dialogue with what's happening in film. Mm-hmm. So, and this is one where again, it has yeah. a really strong V cinema vibe. Um, directed by uh, Sion Sono um, or Sono Shion um, and uh, I just pulled up his Wikipedia and um, in the first paragraph of his Wikipedia it's like oh yeah he's a like heavily influenced by like Soviet filmmaking and I'm like ah I understand this movie now <laughs> I all of it clicked into place yeah we should um, we should do Potemkin sometime soon because I haven't seen any like actual Soviet cinema and I have ideas about what Soviet cinema is, but I don't I haven't actually seen it. Yeah. Other than the the big thing from Strike, um, like okay. my my entire idea of what like Soviet movies are is like the cow scene from Strike. Yeah. So yeah, I should do like come up with like here are a few good ones for us mm-hmm. to pull from. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I know we've referenced Man with the Movie Camera multiple times as well. And that's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's one that's like very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not as like clearly creating the grammar Mm -hmm. of modern cinema in the way that something like Potemkin is. Yeah. I mean, Eisenstein is like explicitly doing like propaganda for the Soviet state. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so his movies need to make a certain amount of sense. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like this is probably one of his like best known movies. Um, um, this director. The other one I'd heard of would be Noriko's Dinner Table. Um, yeah. Which is like a mostly prequel, slightly sequel. I did not know that part until we were uh, watching the movie and you mentioned it. Um, yeah. It looks like he did something called uh, Tokyo Vampire Hotel. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Putting that on the list. Next October. Um, 
Anyway. Um, yeah, this is kind of a, like, I guess, cult classic of mm-hmm. Japanese horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this, not, this is also, like, the big moment of Japanese horror. This is, like, yeah. the same time frame as, like, The Grudge and The Ring. Yeah. You know. And those ones are, like, really blowing up in the U.S., and then this one is, like, people are, like, actively seeking it out mm-hmm. more than something like The Ring. But I, I remember... I remember so much um, of, like, my teenage years in the, like, posting on forums from, like, 2008 to 2013. Um, Like, everybody talking about, oh, no, no, no. American horror is terrible. Japanese horror. Like, that's the real shit. Like, it's it's The Ring. It's The Grudge. It's this. It's Silent Hill 2. Um, Yeah. People just like uh, Fatal Frame. People were just like hungry for like the J horror was like the term that everybody <laughs> used back then. Yeah, um, back when we watched a Panimation. Yeah, <laughs> in two thousand nine. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Um. What this movie's about? Um. We open on a. I'm gonna give a pretty light summary, but the. First scene is important. We open on a, um, like, group of 50 girls? Is it 50 girls? Um, 54, I think, is the final 54. number that they come to. 54 girls who, uh, like, join hands and, like, leap in front of a moving train to kill themselves. Um, and then they just die in entire towns. <laughs> Corn syrup supply to get all the blood. Yeah, there's the so shot. much blood. Yeah. There's so much blood. Um, um, there's just like shots of it, like covering the entire floor. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like somebody clearly off camera with a hose, just like spraying it at some poor extras <laughs> who are just like losing their shit. Yeah, um, it's a good scene. Yeah, um, this is the iconic scene of the movie. Yeah, like. The, the rest of the movie then follows um, a group of detectives who are investigating this incident and they're sort of like arguing about like some of them think this is a murder. Some of them think this is a crime, but they can't really describe what it is. Some of them think this is just crazy happenstance um, and suicides continue to happen um, like throughout Japan um, and it is, like, very unclear, like, if these are connected or not. Yeah. The um, one thing, like, the one connection they find with some of them mm-hmm. is, so, like, some of them, including the one on the train tracks, and then also two nurses who kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like, white leather bag. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, like, multiple, but it'll, it's the same, like, you know, brand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, shows up and it has like a roll of little strips of like human skin that have been sewn together yeah. and like rolled up. Yeah. Um, and they're finding like tattoos or similar tattoos on the bodies and like um, they start to get like calls from like people who are posting on forums and being like, oh, well, I heard about this website where you can go and you can see like Oh, it's got a tally of how many people. Yeah, this BBS. Yeah. 
Well, no, no, no. There's, so there's maru.com or maru.ne.jp. Um, www.maru. <laughs> very important. <laughs> www.maru. <laughs> anyway. You say W every time. <laughs> yeah. But then you can also, like, there's forums where people are posting about it, and somebody says BBS, and I lost my shit. <laughs> yeah. Part of this movie is extremely a, a time where something like Google didn't exist. Mm. And so there was that, like, sense of, like, you could just type shit in, and you had to, like, know what to type in. Right. And then you would find things. And you would type in www first. This yeah. is very important. You would type in www dot. And then it would, uh-huh. yeah, you'd have to, like, know the correct thing to type in. Mm-hmm. And then you would go to some weird website. And you didn't know who the fuck made that website or anything. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you couldn't just Google. Yeah, you couldn't just Google, like... Give me the Suicide Club Mario website. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so then we get um, one of the people who is, like, hanging out on forums and telling the police, like, here's what I found. Um, and it's, like, sort of ambiguous if she's trying to help the yeah. police or hinder the police. The bat. <laughs> the bat. Um, she gets abducted by some gay kids. Uh, <laughs> um who do a big musical number for reasons I am unclear on while sexually assaulting her friend. Yeah. I mean, um, if you're going to get Raleigh, the musician, yeah, to play Genesis, the weird um, gay villain, you might as well have him sing a song. If you heard um, Genesis and you thought to yourself, um, the crisis core uh character played by gacked um <laughs> you basically got it yeah if you imagine a final fantasy 7 character entering played by gacked suddenly entering this like you know mostly this movie about detectives being perplexed yeah. <laughs> and um excessive gore you this, got it. <laughs> this, this, like, guy in his quote-unquote gang is mm-hmm. basically just a visual Kai band that um, is, like, a little extra fucked up. Yeah. they yeah. just And they describe themselves as um, the, or he describes himself as the Charlie Manson of the information age, which is an incredible <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah. So he decides that he's going to let himself get apprehended by the police, but then the, the suicides keep happening. And one of the uh, the detective who's sort of been the sort of the leading man of the film, the movie like, moves perspectives around a lot. But the, yeah. the guy who has sort of been the leading man, his own family is like affected by these suicides, and um, he comes home one day. After they've already apprehended, you know, um, the person, you know, this uh, Raleigh person who they thought was responsible for it. So they're like, okay, it's still going on. We don't know what to do. Um, He kills himself, uh, which I thought was going to be the end of the movie. There's like 15 more minutes. He's like um, kids. I think Mm -hmm. maybe even wife. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. The scene with uh, him returning home from work. Yeah. And then his like daughter just showing him covered in blood is just. It's so good. It's played so comedically. Yeah. 
it's a, it's a, it, the movie does such a good job of like being scary and also being funny, but the funny stuff does not undercut it just like, you know, it doesn't like destroy the like scary stuff. It just like is like, it adds to it. It's like another yeah. flavor, you know. Um, anyway, I have like galaxy brain stuff. I'm going to talk about with this. We'll yeah, finish the synopsis. First. Finish the synopsis. Um, from here we go to um, another character who we've met briefly. Um, her boyfriend jumps off a building and falls onto her. Yeah. Um, and the police uh, investigate her, basically. Um, and for most of the rest of the movie, we're kind of following her perspective as laced throughout the movie. And this movie's so hard to summarize because, like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It is hard to tell what connects and what doesn't until you're at the very end and you're like, oh, I see the whole picture here. Anyway, so... Throughout the movie, we've also been seeing, like, clips of um, a, like, preteen, um, like, J-pop group um, yeah, called... Extreme, like, school idol vibes. Yeah, called Desert or... Desert or... <laughs> desert. Or Desert once. Yeah, Desert. <laughs> um, so, um... She is like, she looks at this poster she has of dessert and she's like, oh my gosh, if I like, she's wearing a four on her shirt and she's holding up a like peace sign. If I press the four button twice, she does this with all the girls in the group and mm -hmm. she presses it on her phone and she spells out suicide and she realizes there's a connection between dessert and this suicide thing. So she goes to um, this concert they're doing. And then I, all things that don't seem real, but are real happen. And she like gets inducted into this suicide cult seemingly. Yeah. Well, but they say on the phone, that there's no suicide club. Yeah. And the whole conversation that they have. So, um, it's a bunch of little kids. Mm -hmm. Th this is a thing that's like tying together. So, Right before the detective, um, Kuroda, the, like, main detective guy, mm -hmm. kills himself. Mm -hmm. uh, they get a phone call, and it's a little kid. Mm -hmm. And the little kid's asking these things of, like, mm -hmm. if you die, you're still, like, connected to, like, your wife and your kids and, mm -hmm. like, all these things. But are you connected to yourself? Mm -hmm. um, and he never, like, says an answer, but he kills himself mm -hmm. in response to this, like phone call mm -hmm. and then they ask the same questions of her mm -hmm. where they're like are you connected to yourself like how do you know that you're connected to yourself like you know you know and understand the connections that you have with other people and those connections will persist like even as after you're dead mm -hmm. um but are you connected to yourself and she's like yes i'm connected to myself um and so for me i think there's some amb ambiguity of I mean, I'll go into my galaxy brain stuff later, but, like, is she going to go kill herself? Or, right. Or is, are we only seeing the people that kill themselves and not the people who don't? 
Yeah. Do do other people like come into contact with this like group of children? <laughs> yeah. Um, and decide not to kill themselves, and also don't come forward to the police for whatever reason. Yeah. You know. Um. That's basically it for the summary. There's stuff we missed, but like we'll hit it. You know. Yeah. We missed the actual like scene that scared the ever-loving shit out of me, which is just that like. It's some kids hanging out on a rooftop because they're just like, you know, they have a break period at school. And they're just like, like lunch or something. Eating lunch, hanging out. And one of the kids like runs up like, what if we killed ourselves? And they're like, ah, you're crazy, man. What if we did kill ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> and like, just suddenly like the tenor of this whole group like turns and like most of them end up like jumping off this building. And I'm just like holding my head in my hands like oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah um and then like and the girl who like first was like haha let's do it let's mm -hmm. all kill ourselves is like the last person to jump yeah like all but three of them jump and then like one girl like drags this other boy down and then the girl who had initially started it was like um hesitant about doing it but then she finally does it and like yeah. You know, tell the whole media, tell the police that this is a suicide club. It's the new thing or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, and it's fucking scary. <laughs> but most of the movie did not, like, scare me. It was just, like, scary situations. That scene was like, oh, God, I can't watch this. The other, which I, I mentioned, the thing that gets me to me the most mm -hmm. is... Um, so, after they've apprehended genesis mm -hmm. and been like oh we found the guy he was like convincing people through the internet they don't talk about how he did this but he was somehow convincing people through the internet to kill mm -hmm. themselves um and then there's like more suicides happening again and they're like shit did we get the right guy mm -hmm. um and there's just this like montage of um this is when the Kuroda's family mm-hmm dies but of like a bunch of people just like in their homes mm -hmm. um like all at the same time but independently mm -hmm. um and then it also includes like performers like there's like a there's like a stand-up comedian who just yeah. like slashes his throat on stage and there's like a it seems like, it feels like an improv comedy like mm -hmm. group of four women who then all hang themselves mm -hmm. um and yeah the part that just really gets to me which I forgot was in this and not Noriko's Dinner Table. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually don't remember if Noriko's Dinner... Now that I have watched this again, I don't remember mm -hmm. if Noriko's Dinner Table ever, ever gets bloody. It's very totally different, mm -hmm. I feel like. Um, but is this part where this mom is just, like, making dinner, and mm -hmm. then she just, like, keeps... Like, she's, like, chopping a daikon or something, and she just, like, keeps cutting, mm -hmm. like, upper hand. Mm -hmm. um, and that one just always... Yeah, as, so as someone much. with like self-harm stuff mm -hmm. is just um it's so like fake and goofy and yet just the idea of it is yeah. like so close to ideations i've had where i'm just like no <laughs> I, yeah this scene sucks yeah <laughs> well um, the, it, it's so fake and goofy and also so convincing because it's like everything's like crunching and squishing at the same time and they're like there's just blood everywhere oh yeah Ugh. <laughs> Um, and you're like looking at it and you're like that's fake but you're still just like oh. it's yeah it's over over the top in a way that's like obviously fake but is also 
like I feel like a lot of the stuff that's over the top in this is um it's doing it because it knows that doing it over the top is going to like create a more powerful reaction in you to mm-hmm. just like see blood like splatter all over the window and the mm-hmm. train's just like mm-hmm. sliding it you know there's the comment of like <sighs> the the grease like they couldn't break all they the couldn't. human grease oh, um, oh and so like all of that stuff is like over the top but in this way that is like getting into this like weird gross out territory that is then like i think giving you more of the horror of the reality of stuff that happens mm-hmm. right like I used to take the red line to work every single day when I, I worked downtown. Um, and there are times where like you, the trains would get rerouted because someone jumped in front of the train. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a group of like 54 girls, but like mm-hmm. that happens. That's the way that people commit suicide. And so I think this movie, like in some of it, it's like doing it in this like gross that way. But I think it is like intentionally trying to take like actual real world things and then that people do, and then just like elevating it to this level of like right. ridiculous horror because, as a movie going audience that watches horror movies, right. we're going to be more affected by this than if we just show like the actual reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's part of what this movie is doing. Yeah, and like that that montage of everybody doing it at the same time, but in like in their homes, here's people performing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I think it's do like, it's really further trying to draw out like, no, people do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why this is like, why is the scariest movie that I've ever seen is because it's not that the like actual movie itself is super scary, but that like, for me, what it's talking about is really scary, mm-hmm. which is just, so my whole reading of this film is, even the thing that like is is happening that is like supernatural within the realm of the movie is entering into such a dream space it's that like mm-hmm. auditorium with the kids yeah where um, like i was i i was unclear most of the movie is grounded and so when you get into sections that are like kind of that are not immediately like the movie pulls the rug out from under you really well because so much of the movie is like these four cops are investigating and they're dumbfounded and like a a thing that you're very familiar with as like a movie goer you've seen cops be confused in movies before you've seen cops like get like rolls of skin in movies before you've seen Silence of the Lambs you know like this, these these sorts of things, so that when you know she goes into the stage area and she's being questioned by like a bunch of kids who are saying things that like don't make sense, and so they keep repeating it until you, the viewer, start to make sense of them. Yeah. Um, when it enters this realm of like things that don't happen in most movies or that don't happen in real life, it's like really unnerving in some ways because you're like wait i thought i was watching like a regular movie and i'm not (laughs) yeah um and so for me like i think part of what's happening with especially the scene with the auditorium and all the kids is that um i think what this movie is really saying is that like 
this is a process that people do every day mm-hmm. is to decide like I'm going to keep living and mm-hmm. and not kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a thing lots of people I like active decision people make every day, mm-hmm. and it is like presenting it in this weird dreamlike space where it's like talking to a bunch of children and being like, "No, I'm connected to myself, and I like want to remain connected to myself." Um, and like there, there are things beyond just like, so I think some of what's coming up with like, oh, you're the connections they have with other people will maintain is like when you're dead, like people are going to miss you. People like mm-hmm. that stuff is still going to exist, but like you're not going to miss yourself mm-hmm. presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, or as like part of the, the thing it's talking about. So I think what this movie is saying is that like, there's this real thing that happens all the time that's suicide and it's trying to talk about it in these different ways where one you have the police who are arguing about like context for this movie i'm gonna like (laughs) step back for a second is this came out shortly after like suicide rates Mm -hmm. escalated really really intensely in japan yeah um and there was lots of like media buzz about like what is this Mm -hmm. so i think this is a movie that's responding to like there's a lot of suicide that is happening yes. in Japan right now. And I, you know, I can't speak to how it affected the U.S., the Japan, but I know in the U.S., like, teenage girls are a demographic that is, like, high, like, disproportionately affected by suicide, you know? And so the opening image of here are all these teenage girls, this happens to teenage girls. 54 teenage girls commit suicide across the u.s or across japan every day the thing that is shocking is when they all do it at the same time and the thing that makes us see a connection between them is when they all do it at the same time um and then the movie expands that out to all sorts of people housewives and you know police officers and um seemingly happy nuclear families like are affected by this every day um and so i think like part for me part of this movie is what i find scariest about this movie is the fact that i don't think that this movie is saying that there necessarily is this call that's convincing people to kill themselves even if you want to read literally this call or that's like tied to this j-pop band Mm -hmm. is a real call it seems like that cult is instead saying like is like making people aware of the choice that they're making. And then some people still choose to kill themselves and other people don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is not a cult about like, let's all kill each other. It is specifically a cult. that's just about like, Hey, let's like focus on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But what everyone in the movie wants is for someone like Genesis, the the Mm -hmm. visual Kai guy that you can blame this on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much of the debates that are happening with the like, police officers are about like is this suicide or is this murder and i think that for me watching this movie and i've watched this movie multiple times the feeling that i have is is part of what this movie is saying is that like to some degree all suicides are murders Mm -hmm. in that like society is creating the systems where this happens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and is not like creating the support for people where this happens yeah and so like Within that context, it is murder, but that's not how, like, the system thinks of it. Yeah. 
And we need to, like, think about these things as, like, interconnected things. Yeah. That need to actually be addressed and changed. Yeah. And the solution is not there's some internet cult that's telling people to kill each other. Right. Or to kill themselves. The solution is that, like, literally everybody is, like, going through this process every day. And we need to, like, find ways to make that easier for people. Well, and the other thing that's happening at the ending is that um, this character that... um, this character who, you know, her boyfriend had fallen on her as he was committing suicide. Yeah. Um, earlier in the film, one of the main detectives who looks like a guy from a common writer show. Um, <laughs> he extremely does. He, um, he. So her boyfriend kills himself. He brings this girl in for questioning or an interview or you know sort of ambiguous i'm the police and so you have to like come here and talk to me because i have you know authority yeah they're they're noticing um these tattoos on all these victims and also the like they're coming to this conclusion as well that the strip of flesh was cut off while people are still alive yeah, so he's in part making sure, like, does she have a strip of flesh cut off? You know, is she at risk of this? Um, and kind of like, yeah, he uses his, like, authority as a police officer to, like, violate her in a big yeah. way. Violate her bodily autonomy as he's like, I need you to, like, take off your clothes so I can see your tattoo and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, like, make sure you don't have a strip off. Yes. Of your skin. Yes. And... She's like, I'm comfortable with this, like, visibly. Yeah. At the end of the movie, um, there is a tr- she's waiting for a train, the train's coming, and he reaches out to stop her from, like, jumping in front of the train. But she's like, I wasn't going to jump in front yeah. of the train. Because the, train. the other notable thing is that when she goes to the, um, the concert and yes. then has the auditorium thing, they, they cut the strip and it has her tattoo. Mm-hmm. And so then, and that shows up then. That is yes. another suicide, that strip of flesh. And yes. then he sees it and recognizes that it's yes. her dead. And this is why he's like yeah. coming after her specifically. But the, the, the failure of the police is that one, it is like purely reactive. It is purely like, oh, like there's, there's no, there's nothing the police in this movie can do to prevent this from happening. They can only react to, um, harm was already done to her. She already had a like strip of her flesh taken from her. Two, like he's invested in her because he is attracted to her because he used his authority as a police officer to like violate her bodily autonomy. And three, the police are so inept because they keep hanging out at train stations waiting for another event like the first one. And while they're hanging out at train stations, people are like you know, literally killing themselves in front of an audience. It's yeah. not that trains are the problem. <laughs> and like, this is like this sort of like ineffectiveness of like police and, and of media covering it is like, you know, gets so like laser focused on, oh, well, we just, you know, we have to stop people from jumping in front of trains. But the yeah. problem is not the trains. The problem is that people are jumping. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it like so much of what, like the police as well as like, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that happens with like with Raleigh with, with the Genesis character mm-hmm. is also like trying to pull in the media more mm-hmm. than they're able to like up until that point of like so much of it is around the sensational part, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like how can we tie this to you? Mm-hmm. 
how can we tie this to like what is conceived of as murder mm-hmm. by like these systems, mm-hmm. which is very different than like how does the system itself like mm-hmm. drive people into these situations? You're right. Um, and so it's like, oh, how do we like how do we solve the crime of of suicide? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Not how do we like create better lives right. for people? How do we like solve this crime? Yeah. Right. And because then like how do how do we like sensationalize uh-huh. the deaths to like tell convincing stories where we get to have a guy on camera right um right like, quoting lyrics and saying i'm the like charles manson of the um yeah <laughs> of the information yeah. age um of web 1.0 <laughs> yeah. um and so yeah like for me like that's the scariest stuff the scariest yeah. stuff for me is the way that the police are like treating everything mm-hmm. um and like the way this, that like yeah police are society's only instrument for solving any problem if yeah. we literally any problem well let's just throw four detectives at it and hope it gets sorted out mm-hmm. you know yeah and the way that like the, the media just like wants to have the sensational story and then wants the, the conclusion to be like here's this like attractive gay villain uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who um, is going to shout things into a camera for us? Yeah, right. And is going while the to... police is like, get away, you know. But yeah. it's like almost part of the theatrics. Yeah, right. Yeah, to have the police like shoving the cameras out of the way. Yeah, and like um, he's gay, and like that's part of it too. Is yeah. like, oh, you can look at like this person who is like literally other, who like walks into the movie, um, and looks different, looks yeah. other. Because he's gay. <laughs> um, it's like Dennis Hopper meets like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Is the vibe. <laughs> yes. Dennis Hopper from Blue Velvet specifically. Yes. yes. Um, and like you can, oh, well, we don't need to, you know, worry about this affecting our nice, normal families because this is, you know, an outsider. This is yeah. a weirdo. Um, and then, you know, the next scene is like, people in nice normal families like cutting their arms off and shit yeah you know yeah um well that's just again so much of the violence in this is goofy yes yes <laughs> um but also it's like for, for me too some of the the way that this like almost makes a joke of it mm-hmm. is i think is like to some degree this tongue-in-cheek too of like this is what you want to see mm-hmm. is like these like over-the-top stuff yeah because you're renting a DVD, it's 2004, yeah. and you're like Suicide Club. I like Japanese horror movies. I'll watch yeah. this. You're you're here for this. this you're is here be for exploitative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're here for um, totally unconnected, um, just like 100 million percent unconnected, like plots about like nurses being ghosts. There's yeah. there's some nurse ghosts in this movie. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Does not matter. I promise you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I don't remember the exact details. Uh, I wrote a paper about this back mm-hmm. in undergrad, which was like eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. Plus you're years. Yeah. Um. But um. So yeah, I like looked up a bunch of interviews and stuff when I was doing that. Um, and so I was trying to find the, the paper, but I don't know if not on my laptop. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I have it on some like drive somewhere, but 
who the fuck knows where that is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this is half remembered. I could be slightly incorrect, but um, the whole nurse stuff, the director in an interview said that he added it because he thought for it to be a proper horror movie, it needed a ghost story. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> it's a great reason to add some scenes to your movie is to be like, man, out. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is enough of a horror movie. I need a ghost. <laughs> um, there's also, two, I, they're good scenes too. Yeah, it's clearly padding things out, but it's good scenes. So yeah, I think the the the, the second part where you actually get the ghost feels more extraneous, but um, the the first <sighs> part really feels like I, I think it's the first because. When you watch the scene with the train station, mm-hmm. um, it feels very easy to just be like, oh, this is clearly some cult thing that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but when you have these two nurses, um, where one of them kind of completely off screen jumps out the window, mm-hmm. um, where like it's just the security guard shows up and she's not there and the window's open and there's like handprints on the window. Uh-huh. Um, and then the second nurse comes back. Mm-hmm. And she's just, like, completely normal talking to him. Like, she went to get food. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, oh, you know, I got, like, the curry pot that the other nurse wanted. Where is she? Mm-hmm. And then goes to the window, and she's like, oh, it's, like, so nice out. And mm-hmm. then just jumps out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, is, like, leaning to her. Is, like, I think the first indication the movie has. Like, there's some weird shit happening here. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> But also that it, it is, like, not this, you know, it gives it, like, I feel like it gives us an early taste of um, these, like, smaller events that mm-hmm. are happening that, you know, the big montage at the end, like, really yeah. emphasizes. But um, also the shot of the uh, blood-splattered, <sighs> like, white leather <gasps> bag getting kicked out of the... Yeah, the it's good. Uh, elevator. It's good, and yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, we watched my DVD copy of this, which is a great way to watch the movie. Like, if you find like a DVD quality rip mm-hmm. of this movie, or rent a DVD, or find a DVD on Amazon legally, um, it feels DVD just, is like yeah, it just feels very of two thousand one. It yeah. feels. In the, you know, the security guard who's like, um, with these nurses, um, has like the, <laughs> a, a MacBook from 2001, and he's also got like a, a, a CD of Pocket 96 laying around, <laughs> and like, there's a, <laughs> there's a scene, there's a late scene where somebody has, um, a shitty, 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 shitty wireless phone. It might be a mobile phone, but I don't know that it is. Yeah, I think it's just a wireless phone. Um, that, like, has a ringtone that's, like, a really shitty digitized, or, or like, version of the, of the dessert song that's been playing a bunch. And then pan to the left, and it's, like, the, the classic, like, ring, ring. Like one of those phones, um, like it feels so of two thousand one. So that like when we watch the DVD and like 
the colors kind of like both are popping and washed out in weird ways and there's like it's a lower resolution and like stuff is just kind of hard to see sometimes it feels very apropos it feels very of the moment um in a way that like i'm sure you know you could do a 4k transfer of this movie and it would look gorgeous but like there is a sort of like made on tape feel to this movie that dvd gets across really well yeah there like it's a movie that that works well with the way that like dvd like dark end stuff can just like completely fall into blackness mm-hmm. like very quickly mm-hmm. um like there's even just shots of like the the main detective Mm. Um, <clears throat> just walking home and like going to his house and just like coming out of the shadows mm-hmm. it just it like works well for yeah for like dvd it's a good vibe like uh, other movies we've watched um noi um i thought also fit the bill for this yeah. whereas like um yeah like noi was on was shot on eight millimeter too yeah and so and like so- it you know, it looks really good on DVD. Whereas I felt like um, I would kill somebody for like Anglar Alheimson's in a um, Blu-ray. Yeah, I would love that so that much. Be, yeah, gorgeous. Um, um, God, there's been enough stuff that we've talked about on stairwalls that has shown up like mm-hmm. shortly thereafter been announced is going to be at music box to this level where i'm like wondering if someone at the music box listens to stairwells <laughs> so if you do please try and like do a one night only film screening of englard alheimson's um, god please <laughs> do it like january 2022 because i want to make sure i'm here like and settled in chicago yeah. um seeing that movie projected would be just everything i've ever worn in yeah. life um, it's the one way I could get you to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, another movie about things that scare me. <laughs> yeah, but in a very different way. Yeah. Um, I was um, thinking about that movie because they recently relapsed on smoking, and I was just thinking about that movie, and I was like, "Damn, that's all I had." <laughs> <laughs> sure, do you smoke a fucking lot in that movie? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Since I wrote an essay about that, I also watched like making of and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or one of my favorites was just how they had um, like assistants, basically, mm-hmm. like production assistants who are burning down cigarettes, but like getting the really long thing of ash, mm-hmm. um, and then they would like very delicately hand it to the actors so they could start shooting the scene because they like <laughs> really intentionally wanted it to be like the cigarette is, like, stabilizing them to such an extent that there's just, like, there's really long ash in mm-hmm. it. Um, it's just, like, a small... We didn't even mention the episode, I don't think. It's just a, a small detail that I think yeah. about a lot. Um, anyway. Uh, where can people find you online? Wait, do... I'm assuming we don't have emails. We don't oh, to do a call, no, but no, we do didn't. we have an email? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure's got our backs. Of course, sure. they wish well. Yeah, sure's always got our backs. Um, 
I think I said on an episode that uh, Crystal's maybe a bigger fan of ornate stairwells than Joao, but I think Joao's proven that he's the biggest fan. One, what would be the favorite movie covered by ornate stairwells of each of the Rare Earth Girls? <laughs> All right. Give me the spreadsheet. Um, okay, we gotta start with Hikari. Hikaru. Um, the Hunger is a strong contender, actually. Um, yeah. Um, um, honestly, it might be The Hunger. Might be The Hunger. Um, Umi. Um, Umi. I feel like... Well, okay. Fu is really into Akira. <laughs> Feel strongly about this. She's just really into Akira. <laughs> um, I think Fu has a deep appreciation for No Regrets for a Youth. <laughs> she feels like the kind of traditional where she's just like, you know, it's not the best movie, but like mm-hmm. this is this is like really a key part of Japanese film history. <laughs> um, the other girls do not want to watch No Regrets for Youth again. They're like, I cannot watch that scene of them farming for like 20 minutes. And Fu's like, that's the best part. It is the best part. Um, um, th- is Umi into Tokyo Drifter, you think? Um, God. It, Umi's into Hibari no Amori no Ishimatsu. Yeah, I was just Umi, thinking. Umi's just like, I think it's funny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Umi like, thinks think it's, it's really funny, and then also, um, she wouldn't like admit it, but if you really pressed her on it, she'd be like, "It's gay." That's, <laughs> that's why I like it; is it's really gay. <laughs> Two. Um, oh, she had more here. I think she also likes the spirit. Yeah, for sure. Um. Two. How do you feel about the prominence of stories about Japanese teenage girls in which gruesome? Violence happening is an integral part of it. This is a trap for bringing up SMT slash persona. Love, Joao. <laughs> I just want to say, we got through that whole conversation without bringing up persona once. Yeah. Granted, it helps that I've never played one of those games and don't know what it's about, but I do know that people, like, shoot themselves or something to summon personas. Yeah. In three, the one that I don't like. Oh, okay. Um, I did. I didn't make a joke because the beginning scene with the the train is Shibuya Station, and so I said, "Hey, they stole this from Persona 5. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that joke at all. I just... Oh, so um, Persona Five, a lot of it is centered around this famous crossing in Shibuya. Mm-hmm. Um. To such a degree that so it pulls the most from Shibuya Kai as a, a musical genre. Um, like a lot of the aesthetics in that game are actually pulling from like Shibuya Kai stuff. The whole fact of them doing like Lupin and stuff, um, these like gentleman thieves, uh-huh. is kind of a reference to the way that like Shibuya Kai referenced like older French pop. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, Shibuya Station. I think, I think, um... There's a thing online where, on Twitter, people will make fun of Persona 5 fans because they will see Shibuya Station and will be like, hey, that's like Persona 5. And what people don't realize is that Persona 5 fans do that intentionally, knowing that it's going to annoy 
other people and them <laughs> to be like, you know, Persona fans don't understand that jazz <laughs> is a genre that existed. And in fact, most Persona fans do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a, a, a franchise that attracts brats. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, the actual I, question. I would say... I, okay, the the question as worded: How do you feel about the prominence of stories about Japanese teenage girls in which gruesome violence happening is an integral part of it? I would say that violence against women, broadly speaking, is um, you know a big thing in like most media. Um, yeah. People love depicting violence against women. I've watched literally anything David Lynch has ever done. People love depicting violence against young women, and people love most of all to depict violence against like young women who are seen as normative in some way. And so, the prominence of violence against uh, Japanese teenage girls is because we're all fucking weebs who watch too many Japanese movies and watch anime. Um, (laughs) where we see that specific form. Yeah. Whereas like most things that you watch on Netflix are about violence against white women because that is scary to Americans. (laughs) So the thing is like, we get into this a little bit on the eight episodes of ghost divers. I talk about the stuff that Mm -hmm. it's actually with, um, Hibari Misari. Um, Hibari Misara. Mm-hmm. I said that. I, I, I got what you Anyway, um, and the stuff around her, like, her, when she was really young doing this female impersonation stuff that was, like, pulling from this, like, um, very sexualized stuff. <clears throat> and then this, like, rehabilitation of her image. A lot of the article that I was referencing there um, for the, the Ghost Divers episodes was specifically about how, like, this construction mm-hmm. of like especially the young woman and the young like what is the like normative ideal in a in a nation mm-hmm. is a battleground for national identity mm-hmm. um and so i think this is why it comes up just everywhere mm-hmm. is because the young woman mm-hmm. and like keeping the like purity of the young girl mm-hmm. across many cultures mm-hmm. is a nationalist like battleground mm-hmm. um like i love nationalist ideas are often grounded in or expressed through mm-hmm. what happens to the young woman especially mm-hmm. the normative beautiful young woman yeah um so yeah, it's one of those like, things where it's just, like, it comes up fucking yeah. everywhere. So. And then it, it, it comes up enough that, like, yeah, like, I think um, David Lynch is also working through, like, national identity via, like, um, violence against, like, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white women. Um, yeah. I think David Lynch is working that, you know, working through that in a way that is, like, supposed to be subversive of the, those sorts of things and like criticizing like that all art is about this and you know all these sorts of things yeah but um even when you're trying to be subversive of this thing that is just totally all consuming of culture <laughs> you just end up doing the thing a little bit because you have yeah. to 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's inescapable. Suspiria is also about yeah. that. <laughs> um, Suspiria is not about anything. <laughs> you may not believe this, but um, it turns out that gender is like a, a really difficult to escape facet of human existence across cultures. Uh-huh. Um, it may present itself differently in cultures. Mm-hmm. The the violence against, um, like gruesome violence against Japanese schoolgirls, um, may present itself in different ways than oh. what happens in other countries. But like, yeah, I've listened. I have, I have, but I know the existence of true crime podcasts. I've never <laughs> in my life. I listened to the that one that was about um, the garbage dump in Chicago. Mm. Um, I remember the name of the podcast. I listened to Serial when Serial was big. That was the only true crime podcast I ever got into. Yeah. I, I mean, like this is true crime podcast. True crime podcasts are just you know violence against young women. That's what those are about. Yeah, I mean, I um. I sometimes, like, on the one hand, feel, like, intensely grossed out by, like, the um, prevalence of true crime podcasts, and I also am aware that, like, I don't know, I like some movies that get directed by, like, men that are very, like, pensive and thoughtful about these sorts of things. Like, I like Badlands, which is, like, not quite true crime, but, like, one step removed from it, you know? Um, And very aware that, like, I cut serious movies about serious topics, a lot of slack and like true crime stuff. Whereas like, you know, when podcasts do it, I, I get very like wagging my finger, like, Oh, podcasts. That's not real art. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with the sentence. I'm tired. Yeah. Should we, should we rate the stairwell? I feel like, so there's a few stairs I can think of. Yeah. I can think of some stairs now. Um, One of the big ones is the stairs that, it's going down in the Shibuya station. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the film, we see all the girls go down it. Mm-hmm. And then that, like, repeats. Yeah. See it a um, couple more times. Yeah. Um, there's also the stairs up to the main detective's home. Mm-hmm. Um, are there some other ones? That- I don't know. I, th- I think the, the, tra- the, the stairs in the Shibuya station are the most prominent ones. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess. What do you think? I was going to say the the moment that is um, kind of significant going into the when he goes up and there's the scene with his family and his like daughters all bloody. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So I just want to bring it in. Sometimes we we rate one stair. Like I think the big one here is the Shibuya Station one. But mm-hmm. the presence of other stairwells watching will elevate the grade for us. So. I, I I feel like maybe I'm going for like a C plus here, where it's like you got the stairs; they're I- iconic stairs, well known stairs. But um, the stairs don't feel like integral to the scene. I had to think about what are the stairs, and I'm like, oh yes, of course. The iconic yeah. stairs, but you know, uh-huh. I could be I could be convinced to another grade, but that's where my that's where my gut says a yeah. C plus. I can maybe go up to like a B minus. I was thinking about a B minus. I was thinking about a B minus, but 
Do it, coward. I don't fucking care. We'll do a B minus. We'll give it a B minus because we just really like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty sure that like our favorite movie uh, got like a D or something. What did Rebels in the Neon God get? Uh, a B plus. Okay. Wow. Oh, Mulholland Drive got a D plus. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Mulholland Drive really did not have. Again, there was very briefly stairs to such an extent that we forgot we... it until you we were trying to quote with cover art. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. Anyway. Where can people find you online? People can find me at FoxMomnia on Twitter. Um, it's always I always think about how it's kind of funny that my public facing Twitter account, the you are the like username is mm-hmm. Nia, even though I want people to call me Neve mm-hmm. if they don't know me. But anyway, um, you could change that. It's very easy. Yeah, but I just I have used that for so many websites now. That's fair. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a tumblr score coffee. All the other podcast acts were odd.io. You get access to stuff a week early. I don't want to do the whole spiel. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> ghost divers. Listen to ghost divers. Ghost divers. Listen um, to me take the tobacco out of a cigarette and replace it with marijuana on air. <laughs> that did happen. That did happen. Um, I'm wondering if. I, I'm excited to listen. I know at least ours are kind of got interrupted by Lem. Well, not like interrupted, but you opened yes. the door. Lem did not really uh, care to join us for Bag End, but Lem will be on um, uh, ours are kind of at least a little bit. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure at least one moment of your toddler just shouting something. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to try and find that and mute it, but there might be... <laughs> One or two moments of your toddler just being like, Wah! yeah, they they like ran into the bedroom to <laughs> yell at Emily about like, why are you working for me? So we're like sick here. You're you're probably gonna get sick. Sorry. Whatever. Um. Yeah, I, I I missed work because I was just like so totally mentally ill that I like I don't want to get into it on air. I I miss work as a mental illness stuff. I'm excited to miss work as a physical illness stuff. That'll be a good yeah. change. And if you get it like me, you'll just work through it. Yeah. If you get it like Emily, then you'll call in. I don't call in for fucking anything. Yeah. I had to fucking. Well, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna get into what was happening to me on Monday, Tuesday. I was sick. That's all. <laughs> um. Um. Are we just extending this forever? Or do you want to go to bed? I'm deciding. I'm weighing my option. Um, yeah. We didn't talk about what are we doing next time? Oh yeah, um, next time we are watching uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. If people have not read it, they should read Mike Mignola's adaptation of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> um, it is it was out of print for a very long time. It is back in print now in both black and white and color. Um, it is uh, fan- fantastic. Um, I've never read it because I haven't seen the movie, but I have like just quickly like flipped through like, oh, this panel is so great. Flip, 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 flip. Oh my God, look at this. Flip, 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 flip. Um, yeah. I have a deep affection for like 
and they don't make these anymore. Um, but in like the, 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 the I want to say from like Star Wars to maybe 1999, maybe from like Star Wars to The Phantom Menace. Yeah. People would do adaptations of movies in comic form often to be released concurrently with the movie itself. So like there is, um, an adaptation of alien that, uh, Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson did. It's one of my favorite fucking comic books ever. I think it's fucking amazing where they couldn't even see the movie because they were like doing it as Ridley Scott's making the movie. So they got to see dailies a few times, but that was it. (laughs) Um, uh, surprisingly faithful adaptation given the circumstances. There's a creep show famously, um, Stephen King, um, movie that got covered recently on, uh, just King things. If people want to know more about that weird thing, um, would you consider the Hobbit comic book in this, like related to this? Cause it, I think it wasn't so. released with the movies, but I feel like it was around yeah. the time of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. I think it's supposed to capitalize on it at the very yeah. least. Um, there's, um, a really good, that's the other thing is that you can't find so much of this now because this is like, like this was a cash cow for Marvel at a certain point. Um, and so Marvel is licensing all these things. There's a really good Marvel Blade Runner comic that is adapting the movie um, that you can find illegally, but good fucking luck finding it legally now. Or there's like a Marvel 2001 a Space Odyssey adaptation. that has nothing to do with it because they told Jack Kirby, like they gave Jack Kirby the script. He didn't read it and just made his own fucking book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, this is it's unrelated but it's reminding me of um so i have a vinyl of the hobbit movie Mm -hmm. the the um it's not the ralph bakshi who was it i'm completely top craft um there's like two people yeah rankin and bass yeah rankin and bass um and it's so, it's interesting because it's, like, right at the beginning mm-hmm. of, like, VHS. Yeah. But in a way where, like, most, a lot more people probably had a vinyl mm-hmm. than a, a VHS player. And mm-hmm. so, like, for a lot of people, you would probably just buy the vinyl mm-hmm. to, like, remember the movie at home. Yeah. It's just I'm, such a weird thing because it, it's not like the music from it. It's like literally like there's like narration and shit. Mm. Um, I um, have been watching a lot of uh, Technology Connections, which is a YouTube channel I really like, and was watching a bunch of his videos about um, like did a did a bunch of videos about like why did Betamax fail and and VHS succeed? Why did Laserdisc fail and VHS succeed. And one of, one of the interesting things about why did Laserdisc fail um, and why did CEDs fail um, is that, like, there was Laserdisc was trying to invent a whole new market. Like, there, when Laserdisc came out, home video didn't exist. And so you had to convince people 
that watching movies at home was something that they wanted to do. And not only did they want to do that, but they wanted to buy your very expensive device to do so. Whereas VHS at first was not about, um, you can watch your favorite movies at home because at first buying a tape was really expensive, but that was fine because we weren't using a tape to watch movies. You were using a tape to record TV and that is why VHS was so much more successful than um, Laserdisc as a format. Yeah. Um, except for like weirdos like us, we're like, no, I need a Laserdisc because it's got better picture quality, and I can like jump to the scenes I want. <laughs> yeah. Although well, one of the weird things too with Laserdisc is that often you had to turn it over. Yes. To watch yes. the movie. Um, just- he was showing a, a really cool Laserdisc player where like the laser would slide back and then there was a device that would flip it upside down and like uh, read the top side of the disc uh, with the laser pointing like basically on the other side of the machine. Um, that shit's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember once, this is unrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once seeing uh, someone had designed, so it's a laser that reads vinyl instead of a needle huh and they developed one where it was steady enough that you could put it in a car huh and this was like recent right like this is not like of the time yeah and like when i just saw that i was just like if i was just like ridiculously rich i mean like obviously the first thing would be like take care of friends and stuff Mm -hmm. but then also just buy this thing so they could be like oh yeah do you want to listen to like you know, middle cyclone, and then just like pull a vinyl out of like like you know my. <laughs> Have your driver pull a vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> just open the glove box and there's just vinyl in there, and you just like pull it out, put it in the. Um, you know, skip protection. Nora, for my vinyl. Nora and I were talking about this because Nora loves. Um, Nora loves old media shit. Nora, um, she has her um, VHSs of Star Wars laying around, which I know you also do. Yeah. Um, she just loves that sort of shit. And so she was telling me the other day, she's like, because we were both, we both have been watching a lot of technology connections. She's like, I think if we ever like got mega rich, I would want to start collecting laser discs, which doesn't even like really make sense when you think about it because the picture quality is bad by today's standards. And because, like, disc rod is a very real and powerful thing. Yes. Um, but also, I was like, yeah, we'd, we'd become people who buy laser discs. I very specifically, like, I think on this podcast, I mentioned it before, I found out that, like, the only time Criterion's ever put out a movie internationally was, like, a, a Japanese laser disc of uh, Blade Runner. And I was like, I just want that very badly. <laughs> <laughs> I just want this Japanese Blade uh, Blade Runner laser disc. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, my quick thing mm-hmm. that I keep remembering. Mm-hmm. When you were talking way earlier mm-hmm. about how, like, this movie feels extremely, uh, like, DVD. So, I don't have a Betamax player. Mm-hmm. But I do have a Betamax cover, or... Betamax copy mm-hmm. of Wrath of Khan. Great. And that just feels like a really beta movie to me. Yeah, it does. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw it and I was just like, this movie is such a movie that, like, feels like it should be owned on Betamax that I'm going to buy it. And if I ever have a Betamax player, I can watch it. In some ways, it's perfect because, like, I people have such strong associations of Star Wars with VHS. Those, the, the Star Wars VHSs are, like, yeah. a thing that people care about. Um, and so there's this like, perfect ironic circle formed by having everybody's favorite Star Trek movie on beta. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's better. You know, it's a, you know, it's a great fucking movie, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. That movie fucking rules. Um, it's the only Star Trek shit I've ever seen, really. The other, the other movie that for a really long time, um, the best version that I could find was a Betamax copy of Sonatina. Mm. Um, eventually they did I think there was like but it was really hard to find a DVD release maybe um, and then like we watched the DVD or the Blu-ray quality version I was um, um, when they did that Criterion flash sale the very first thing I did was I typed in um, I went to the everything that was on sale and I control F um Simon Lang, and then I did Control F Sonatina. Just like I couldn't remember what was in the collection and what wasn't. I was like, let me just see. Yeah. Let me just see. Sonatina is so fucking good. It's a fucking good movie. Love that movie. I was happy with. I was very happy with what I got. <laughs> I got all stairwells movies. I didn't even mean to do that. I just um, I didn't want to buy stuff in the collect. I didn't want to buy stuff I hadn't seen. Um, and. I ended up getting all stairwells movies because the other stuff I was considering was one, a Bruce Lee collection, which I probably would have got if I didn't have this move coming up. If I wasn't trying to like save a little bit, I probably would have just got this Bruce Lee collection. Um, and then the other thing I thought about getting was the Bergman collection. Um, but that was fucking expensive. Yeah, I got the, Berg- I looked at that as well. It was, if I got the Bergman collection, it would have been the only thing I got. Whereas yeah. I got like a little bit of everything that I um, care about. Yeah, I got Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. which I don't know if we'll, we'll ever do on stairwells, but I can, I don't think I could do a podcast about Blue Velvet. Yeah. One of my favorite movies, but I've seen it like so many times that I just don't have anything to say about it. Um, I got. I guess I could see doing Blue Velvet if we did a Twin Peaks podcast. I could maybe see an argument for like we'll do. We'll start with Blue Velvet, and then we'll do. Then we'll go to Twin Peaks. You know, yeah. As or doing Blue Velvet as a bonus episode. Yeah, that would be the other option. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's some stuff if we do the Twin Peaks podcast that I would think of as like we could do this as a bonus episode thing, like the rabbits thing. You know what I'm talking about? Rabbits thing. Oh. Uh, While you look this up, I'm gonna. This is more connected to Inland Empire, actually. Never mind. Um. Yeah, and then I got the the set of Lady Snowblood. There were like two Lady Snowblood movies. I can just see Lady Snowblood too. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um. This this is also I've like kind of, I think talked about some of the other movies. I think when we get to like, which is coming up soon. When when we get to um. We'll obviously do Battles Without 2 first, 
Mm-hmm. But then I think we'll do Lady Snowblood before I, I move beyond like the Jutsuroku area mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll probably watch that on the podcast. Okay. Like the first one. Cool. Um, and then the third movie I got. What did I get? You got Berlin oh, Alexander Yeah, Plots. I got all of Berlin Alexander Plots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do the really. Fassbender one. I really wish I'd gotten. Um, the thing is, with the Bruce Lee thing, I wish, you know what I wish I still had? I, so, I went through a big phase of, like, not wanting to own many physical possessions for various reasons that are a little too dark to get into on a podcast. Um, and so I don't have this anymore, but I had a DVD box set, not of every Bruce Lee movie, but, like, all the ones that matter minus Enter the Dragon. So I had a DVD box set of Big Boss, Fist of Fury, Way of the Dragon, Return of the Dragon, um, and Game of Death. Um, love Bruce Lee so much. I fucking <laughs> love that dude. Um, it's weird that that box set had Game of Death. Um, it's a weird movie. Um, but yeah, I really wish I got. I don't. I don't have that anymore. And so I really wanted this. Um, Blu-ray set of Bruce Lee, and I'm probably going to get it the next time it goes on sale because it's got two different versions of Enter the Dragon, and I really want to become a person who has a strong opinion about whether the 99-minute or the 103-minute cut of Enter the Dragon is better. I need to like know in my heart which one is the better one so that I can be a snob about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the things that I often do with Criterion sales... Mm-hmm is um this is just like my my approach my like it's like a way that i like limit myself so that i just don't go super overboard um is usually i try and get some sort of box set usually of the eclipse stuff because it's like a cheaper thing Mm -hmm. but you can get like a bunch of movies and often i'll do one where i'm like okay i've seen that one but i haven't seen that one or whatever Mm -hmm. um it's like a way for me to like get a bunch of movies for fairly cheap that um i can watch and you know i might find a gem in there that mm-hmm. i really like so i'll get one of those i'll get a movie that i've seen and i love a lot and then i would like to earn mm-hmm. and then i'll often try to get something that i like think will be interesting mm-hmm. but haven't really seen um often it'll be a thing of like Okay, like I have a bunch of Kurosawa DVDs because it mm-hmm. used to just be like, well, I haven't seen that Kurosawa movie yet. I'm gonna get, yeah, I'm gonna get that one, yeah, and watch it because it's Kurosawa. Like, I'm not gonna be mad that I own another Kurosawa movie, yeah, even if it's not great. That's um, the other thing is that, like, I think what you're talking about makes sense for you. For me, I think maybe the only Blu-ray I own right now until these these ones I just bought get here. I think the only Blu-ray I own is Persona. I think I got rid of my entire movie collection because I had a fatal. Like, I don't like movies anymore, so I'm going to get rid of all of it. Yeah. Um, in some move somewhere. Um, whereas if I own more stuff, I would be like, well, yeah, I could, I feel fine taking a, like a chance on maybe something I won't like. The thing I really thought about was getting, um, there was a trilogy of Vim vendors, like, uh, road movies that i was like oh that looks really good and i don't know anything about these movies but i've seen two of his movies now and i love him yeah (laughs) so um yeah this one was slightly different because blue velvet was like the 
Mm-hmm. Let me get something that I just know I like and I would like to own a yeah. copy of. Um, Lady Snowblood was kind of that. Mm-hmm. But it was also a little bit the... Because I'm pretty sure I've seen the second one, but I don't remember it fucking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, it's kind of that. Um, and then I was thinking about there's like a Nikatsu noir box mm-hmm. set. But um, I don't know. I have... I like... Part of it is, um, so I got the Berlin Alexander mm-hmm. Potts novel from the library, mm-hmm. um, and I was, I was starting to read it, and then someone else had a request, and I had to return it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm just going to, like, I, like, asked for it to be a book for Yule. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I feel like if I'm, like, okay, I'm getting the book... I'm I'm getting the like Blu-ray mm-hmm. copy of this. Mm-hmm. It's like further going to incentivize me to like really do this project because I've kind of fallen off of it right now. Some mm-hmm. of that is the fact that um, in terms of reading, right now I'm reading Independent People mm-hmm. for Ghost Divers. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is officially announced now. Okay, so, I didn't know. I like I'm pretty sure you haven't said that anywhere, but we said it on. The beginning of the question bucket, so you didn't join yet. Okay. Um, so yeah, for uh, I'll just announce it here in case people are curious because it's outside of anime. So maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I don't really like anime, but I do like um, <laughs> socialist realist novels from Iceland. <laughs> um, so a thing that Connor and I have decided we we actually started talking about this when we first started the podcast, but we launched it in like October or November. Um, and so it was just like a short turnaround. Like I wanted to focus on us just like mm-hmm. getting the podcast running. Um, but is, so I, I usually take all of you off if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to me to like have that as a time that's like about not doing the work that you don't want to do and only doing work that you want to do. Um, and so one of the things that I want to do is just do a bonus podcast every year for ghost divers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like we're gonna do something. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll depend, and then it's gonna release on the last day of Yule, which is New Year's mm-hmm. Day. Um, so the first of you know January first every year. Mm-hmm. So for the first one, we're doing Independent People by Haldor Laxness, which is one of my favorite novels. Um, I introduced it to Connor. Um, Connor thinks about it a lot. Um, oh yeah, Laxness is like a communist writer from iceland um especially a lot of his earlier works i for a really long time have said that they've never localized sokovalka because it's just really really obviously communist um mm-hmm. it's about like a a poor girl who reads a bunch of communist theory and then like decides to start wearing pants and like start <laughs> a union and shit uh-huh. um and it's just like really hard to to efface the communism from it um, but apparently there is a new translation, so I might try and read that at some point and see nice. what they do in the U.S. Because there's this period, it's the thing that we'll talk about on the podcast, but where they like, like there's a foreword to Independent People that's all about like the tragic hero mm-hmm. of Bjarke. And that's not what that book is about. Mm-hmm. That book is about how that man buys into these like ideals of self-sufficiency and independence. Um and then destroys the lives of everyone around him, including the people he loved most, because mm-hmm. he refuses to 
like even when confronted with opportunities refuses to like awaken to any kind of class consciousness and just continues to be like mm-hmm. now if you die and like taxpayer money has to pay for your funeral you failed mm-hmm. that's like the goal in life is to be able to pay for your own funeral uh-huh. and to like never owe anyone anything mm-hmm. um it's just about how like it's a it's a novel it's about how people like buy into their own oppression mm-hmm so we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So if that I'm sounds excited. interesting, uh, feel free to read along. Um, yeah. It's like 500 pages or something, so shorter okay. than a Brandon Sanderson novel. <laughs> All right, jackass. <laughs> you know, it's like half of a Way of Kings. <laughs> um, I do feel like Way of Kings is probably faster reading. <laughs> I'll give it that. It's a fucking page turner. Um. Anyway, you were yeah, you were like rubbing your eyes a lot now. Yeah. So is Okakoro real? Okakoro is real. Okay. I'm sinking into this couch. Yeah. We really extended that one. That was fucking early days of White Lotus shit. Open car as well. Open car as well.
who goes is dead The bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled That velvet lines The black box Bella Lugos is dead Bella Lugos is dead
Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I wasn't saying anything. <laughs>